following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Hey, you out there. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 754 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by somebody who has something to say. I can tell. <laughs> Brittany Page, everybody. Well, I'm just surprised because I was expecting you to be a low energy Jeb, and <laughs> you really stepped it up just in time. So, a low energy Jeb. Good for you. You know me. <laughs> Low energy jab. Well, you have to, for for the uh, 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 <laughs> so so the audience so, so, so yeah okay so the audience gets Come on! okay the guy in the sixty five hundred dollars suit <laughs> all right <laughs> this is not gonna be a good show just skip ahead while we work out the kinks here do not skip ahead well you have been kind of sulking you were laying on the couch and um. Breathing out. No, I'm not sulking. Quite heavily. I just we. I, I don't want to. Can I? Are you doing what I do right now? Because let me tell you, I don't like. It. Okay. <laughs> a little taste of your own medicine. No, I just did a bunch of stuff today, and you know, my life and job is really hard. And no, no, uh, it's just we got a lot going on. We're we're jumping on a flight tomorrow morning in a. I want to say unexpected, but we've only had it planned for a few days, mm-hmm. trip to Boise, mm-hmm. and um, it's just a lot. It's stressful. Also, we're going into the into the belly of the fucking beast relative to COVID. Yeah. Idaho is a goddamn hellscape right now, mm-hmm. and the trip is unavoidable, and uh, that's okay. We're going to see some people. Um, we're prepared. We seen in a while. Yeah, we're, we're going to be quadrupling up on our N95s and uh, well, only eating outside, you know, in trying, the cold. To, trying to mitigate um, the risk. And we've announced we're only seeing people who are vaccinated. <laughs> I Yes. Yeah. And I don't even giggle about it. I got my booster, which That's is exciting. Right. Yeah. So I have a uh, triple protection. Is it triple? <laughs> um. Well, it's three shots, so... <laughs> triple so anyway that's why i'm low energy jeb yeah which i don't know if we've mentioned on the show is something that we call each other when we're low energy a lot yeah it, the the phrase low energy jeb crosses both of our lips quite a bit which is upsetting because you know it's something that donald trump said and we don't want to be like saying things that donald trump said uh well, or giving things, him any credence no, as no, though no. he's funny or something some things are so fucking dumb yeah that it kind of, it's the horseshoe. It comes back around and makes it funny. That makes me feel a lot better. It's I'm glad you said like, that. It's kind of like on Family Guy, there's a scene in earlier seasons. Why do you automatically roll your fucking eyes? I I don't think I did. You, I'm not certain that I did. absolutely disgust was oozing from your face. I just, it's, the voices in are great. In early seasons of, of Family Guy, there was a deal where Peter falls down and hurts his knee and he's like... Ah, ah, 
And he keeps doing it for a long time, and it gets to where it's not funny, and then he continues to do it where it becomes funny again. And it's kind of like that with Low Energy Jeb. <laughs> that was a great explanation of how <laughs> wow. of how it's funny. Well, we have an announcement. Uh, looking for a new <laughs> co-host of the show. Yeah. I will post a job on Craigslist momentarily. <laughs> on Craigslist? Yeah, well, that's where you get podcast co-hosts. Okay. <laughs> Good luck with that. So anyway, everybody, thanks for joining us. I uh, We also want to remind you. Thanksgiving. Um, sure, we can remind that after I make the actual announcement. Oh. That uh, starting next week, or on the 8th, I believe. Yes, yeah, starting on the 8th. We will be back to two episodes a week and on a regular release schedule of Monday and Thursday release days. Yes. Yep. So... Look forward to that. We're we are very we are excited about it. Mm-hmm. That I'm going to have Brittany here uh, on an almost full time basis in studio, being able to crack the whip on low energy Jeb here. So yeah. it's going to be a good time. Yeah, we're also going to be uh, recording those for YouTube as well. So that's going to be exciting, and there's going to be some big changes coming up that we'll announce, and a lot of exciting things that are in store, in addition to the Thanksgiving episode that is coming up. So make sure that you get in your Thanksgiving voice memos. Remember, we do every year, except for last year, the Thanksgiving episode, which is a family-friendly, positive episode that you can listen to on Thanksgiving Day with your family, profanity free. whatever you're doing, profanity-free, only positive, uplifting news stories, and a listener-submitted message of thanks. Listeners call in and describe what they are thankful for this year. So we have examples of this. You can go to YouTube, Jesse's channel, youtube.com slash Dollamore, and search for Thanksgiving episodes. Uh, you can also just go to youtube.com and search Dollamore Thanksgiving and it will lead you there. So don't know why I made it so complicated. Don't know why it's getting even more complicated. 657-464-7609 is where you'd call to leave those voicemails. You can also uh, email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. You're going to edit all of the, the... No, no. All of that stays. No. There's a whole bunch that needs to be edited. It it will be. And then we're going to leave the audience hanging like, oh, I, I wonder what was said. <laughs> what craziness ensued that we're not going to be a part of? Well, it wasn't craziness. It was just me being unable to talk. So, okay. What, what happened the year? <laughs> Maybe I'll just tack that on to the end uh, as, to, as an incentive for people to listen to the whole episode to, <laughs> all the way through to the end. What happened the year? (laughs) Good times. All right. Speaking of good times, we're going to get some listener communication. Uh, On the heels of Brittany getting her booster shot, we have a listener that we've been uh, communicating with a little bit here and there. He's uh, DM'd me on Twitter a couple times. Talked about the difficulty with his family, uh, the agreement that he made that he would only... Maybe he says this in the call and I'm spoiler alerting it. Anyway, uh, someone who just got their first vaccine, we're very excited for him. All right. Well, I finally did it after months of being nervous about needles. I got my first dose of the vaccine, and I think two weeks later, a fortnight later, I will be able to get my second shot. What I did not before is the first time I was told, I told my mom and dad, I said, I'll wait for the FDA to approve it. 
when the FDA approved it, I had to get stuff signed, <laughs> and now I finally got it. And I'm happy to get it. I'm probably going to be the only one in my family who gets it. Willingly, not unwillingly. <laughs> Hope you guys have a great time. Thank you for very much for keeping me, like, energized and energetic. Hope to talk to you guys soon. Brittany's the best part. Bye. I'm not prepared. Oh, that's not the right drop. <laughs> Holy shit, I don't even have the other window open. Look at you. Look, Look at you at who's me. not prepared. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. So professional broadcasters here. I don't think the caller gave. They did not. Okay, so it's just our policy not to use the name when people don't give their name. So we're not going to use your name, and we know who you are. But longtime listener of the program, yes, uh, very appreciated member of the audience. Absolutely. So that's very exciting. Congratulations on getting your vaccine. Like we just talked about, I got my Moderna booster and boosters are now available for all three of the COVID-19 vaccinations in the United States, Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson. For a select group of individuals. Well, for Johnson & Johnson, boosters are recommended for 18 and over um, who got vaccinated two or more months ago. So because Johnson and Johnson is just the one shot. So they're recommending the second shot of Johnson and Johnson for 18 and over who got vaccinated uh, more than two months ago. For those who got Pfizer or Moderna, boosters are recommended for specific populations six months after your last dose. So that's going to be ages 65 plus, uh, those over 18 with underlying health conditions or who live in long-term care facilities, and then 18 and over who work or live in high-risk environments. This is like healthcare education, corrections, people who work in grocery stores, yeah, yeah. Um, agricultural workers, I think is on the list too. There's there's a list that you can you can see to see if you fall into it um, it's at CDC's you, website. It, it's likely if you are considered an essential part of the workforce that you qualify. Yes. Yeah. So definitely if you fall into one of those categories, go and get your booster shot. I did have a reaction to this one as well. Um, I felt a little sick, didn't want to put up with it like I did last time. So I popped an Advil and I also got a kind of a rash again, which I got a rash last time. Swollen injection site and a rash. Yeah. But again, these are not serious adverse events for the vaccine. Right. It's not like you swallowed a penny or something. Don't panic. (laughs) Everything's fine. They're safe. My swallow a penny joke. I heard it. I just... You chose to move on. Well, unless we're going to talk about it, which is you're alluding to the... Um, well, we are, because the next call is about Joe Rogan, so it would kind of be a, a great segue that I was setting up. Okay. <laughs> um. Well, the FDA has just recommended uh, or authorized for emergency youth authorization um, the vaccine for children 5 to 11. Right. Mm-hmm. And as part of that trial... There were no issues related to whatever it was that Joe Rogan was obsessed with in that uh, Sanjay Gupta episode. Myocarditis. Myocarditis, but also uh, one of the the adverse reactions or effects that they listed, because they have to list everything when when there's a a trial like this, was one of the kids, because, you know, they're like five or six, swallowed a penny. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So it's not that there weren't any adverse events is what they call them linked to the, to the vaccine. There were some. 
um, adverse events. And the most prominent ones in that clinical trial were fatigue, headache, muscle pain. So when they say adverse events, again, it's not it's not like you would uh, expect from a vaccine skeptic, right? I think right. in their mind, adverse events are much more serious, right? Something that's maybe worse than COVID-19 yeah, like blood itself. Clots and heart attacks, life-threatening things. Right. And there, there were, I think, 13 vaccine participants who had swelling of the lymph nodes and then um, hypersensitivity, which was rash or dermatitis after the, the vaccine. Right, right, right. But then, like you're talking about, there were what they categorized as five severe adverse events. None of them were linked to the vaccine. And like you said, one of them is um, ingestion of a penny, one person in the vaccine group. Clearly not vaccine related. That the kids swallowed the penny. Yes. And then two people in the vaccine. Cured is COVID, though. Weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two people in the vaccine group and one in the placebo had fractures and one person in the vaccine group had infective arthritis. So if you if you if you ask Joe Rogan about it, maybe he's going to blame the dumb dumb is going to blame the broken bones on the vaccine, too. Well, and again, no cases of myocarditis, which is heart inflammation. Um, anaphylaxis or deaths among the right. 5 to 11 uh, in the clinical trials. So we did get a call. We've been talking about Joe Rogan a little bit lately because he's been uh, opening his mouth and inserting his foot, saying wrong things, uh, spreading conspiracy theories, uh, promoting uh, treating COVID with ivermectin, which is not approved by the FDA. Uh, and we got a call about it. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. It's Casey from Kentucky. Uh, I was calling in reference to the most recent episode um, where we're talking about Joe Rogan and uh, the dumb fuckery that he has been known to say. Um, I'm a fan of Joe Rogan's stand-up. I think he's quite funny. Um, Jesse said I don't know how successful he is. He's very successful. He's a very good comedian. Um and he takes up for the comedians and, and things like that. But, but you guys are right. He, he does say some stupid shit. However, um, what you are failing to notice, or maybe you haven't failed to notice, but definitely failed to mention, um, if you hate watch enough of his clips, you will notice that what he says uh, generally fits the narrative of his guest, unless he just completely and utterly fundamentally disagrees with him, like Stephen Crowder or like Ben Shapiro. He tried to have a decent conversation with uh, with um, um, the former, uh, I didn't forget his stupid fucking name, Crowder. Um, he just very much did not like talking to that guy. And where Shapiro, he felt like he could bond with Shapiro on intellectualism or lack thereof. Um but just for an example, he used to, like, just not very long ago, he would shit on the WWE and professional wrestling until he has wrestlers on his podcast, and then he sucks their dicks harder than anything in the world. I don't think that Joe Rogan is a dumb fuck. I do, however, think that he's slightly fake. Um, I think it's uh, not necessarily a character, but... I feel like because he he used to not address being uh, um, criticized, and now that it's happening on a mainstream level, uh, he leans into it. A lot of comedians do. They lean into negative connotations because of something in their brain. Um, 
you know, maybe, you know, they didn't get hugged enough as a kid or something like that, which is generally pretty much the thing. Um, but not disagreeing, uh, but also not agreeing. I, I, I think just like, uh, most smart, dumb people, he makes good points. He makes bad points. Um, his COVID shit has been just completely egregious, but, um, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out. Uh, maybe not dumb, but, but definitely fake. Um, Love the show, guys. Keep, keep doing anything. Armchair psychologist Casey from uh, Kentucky calling in <laughs> with his his uh, assessment of not being hugged enough as a child for Joe Rogan. Just teasing you, Casey. Listen, being fake and vacillating and not having an official position on anything while uh, coddling uh, to whatever guest's point of view uh, is not a positive attribute. No, it, 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 that to me is a recipe for I'm not going to fucking listen to this guy. Listen, if I did that here on this show, I wouldn't expect anybody to fucking listen because where do I stand? What do I actually believe? What are your principles? What are your values? Yeah, absolutely. And and further, I mean, what value does that then provide to the listener? I mean, other than maybe trying to figure him out and like being curious and, and wondering like what it is about him that has him just being like a chameleon, whoever yeah. he talks to, he just takes up their opinion and then he talks to someone different and he has their opinion. I mean, that would be maddening for me to yeah. listen to, but I'm at least happy. I didn't hear Casey say <laughs> because I thought it was coming. I thought it was coming that Joe Rogan is just a dumb guy. And if you listen to him, he says it himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do not ever want to hear that again. Which is which is what he says. That's his that's his out. Because he is a thought leader and whether he wants to acknowledge that or not, he is. He Go take a look at Twitter. Very influential. He has a significant platform and he's not using it in the way that he should be if he wanted to be responsible. So, that's it. That's what that's the word. That's the key word. He's not using it responsibly yeah. at all. Yeah. When he's uh, promoting conspiracy theories that Antifa was starting forest fires here in California and then had to come out and apologize because it was complete bullshit. You have a responsibility. Listen, his platform is much larger than ours. And we still feel very deeply, very acutely, the responsibility to get it right. There are times where I will say something off the top of my head that it sounds right, the number or whatever. And Brittany gets panicked because she wants it to be correct. Mm -hmm. And with even the size of our growing, but smaller than his platform. Yes. We feel like we are doing it right. We are responsible in that way. Mm -hmm. The larger your platform, the more responsible you should feel to your audience. Well, and we, we try to be too. I mean, like uh, Casey was saying that he has been uh, enjoying the criticism I don't necessarily know that that's true. I mean, when I watched the Sanjay Gupta episode um, for three hours, over three hours, they honed in on CNN calling Ivermectin a horse dewormer. And he was calling them liars for, for calling it that. Right. And it's like, well, I mean, it is that. It is that, you know? Well, listen, the part of that that he bothers me... He didn't use it for that, but... The part of that that bothers me is the fact that he promotes having used it, and then idiots go out to their local livestock store, their feed and seed joint, farm supply, and they buy horse dewormer and take it, and then get sick. 
Some people have died because of the irresponsible promotion of a treatment that is not approved for COVID. He has a responsibility as a quote-unquote thought leader, dumb fuckery or not. Well, and even in that, he was defending, and I didn't just take ivermectin. I took other things too, but they don't- Monoclonal antibodies. But they don't talk about that. Well, it's because you're taking an unproven treatment for COVID-19 and promoting it as though that that was something that helped you. All of the things that you took, right? You threw everything at it. You threw the kitchen sink at it and it helped. And then that's informing your audience because they look to you and they want to believe what you say. Yeah, I mean, he needs to be more responsible. It's just, it's ridiculous. Without so I, a doubt. I hear Casey trying to defend someone that he enjoys listening to, and that's fine. I mean, if you're entertained, whatever. We're not telling you not to listen to Joe Rogan. We're not telling anyone that. I just think it's important to challenge it because he is influencing so many people, and that, frankly, is terrifying. I mean, clearly, Casey doesn't have the best taste in podcasts. He listens to Joe Rogan and <laughs> and us, so. That is correct. You need to get your head screwed on straight, Casey. Yes. We appreciate your call very much. Moving on, talking about Texas schools. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. It's Josh from Wisconsin. Uh, Just wanted to call and comment on the most recent episode, 753, about the story about the Texas school board making the decision that, well, not necessarily making the decision, but the segment where you have to have an opposing view to the Holocaust if you have a book in your view or classroom. I just, a personal story that, when I, my grand, my father died when I was five years old. My mom married a Jewish man after my dad died. I was raised Catholic. My grandfather was a proud American Jew. He took the oath of enlistment and fought in World War II against the Nazis, uh, participated in the invasion of Normandy on D-Day. And a little emotional about this one because the fact that they are questioning whether the Holocaust was a good thing or that you have to have an opposing view to a Holocaust book is disgusting and infuriating to me with my grandfather being a proud Jewish American who fought Nazis during World War II. It's what's the opposing view to the Holocaust that it didn't happen, that the Holocaust was somehow a good thing. It's disgusting. It's you have to teach history as history. And this idea that you can't teach history that might make somebody feel guilty or ashamed for being a member of their race. Why is this conversation never revolve around black and Latino Americans who have to see their ancestors in textbooks and video being beaten and sick with fire hoses and have police dogs attacking them simply for marching for their right to vote? or seeing pictures and textbooks of their ancestors in chains and being enslaved. So in the state of Texas, you can't teach the Texas Articles of Secession, which mentions slavery as the primary cause for the leaving the state of Texas leaving the Union. It's, it's appalling. Just wanted to get this personal story kind of out there and just, uh, I don't know what to do anymore. It's disgusting. Anyway, keep doing what you guys are doing. You're doing a great thing bringing attention to these issues. Love the show. You guys are both the best part. Have a good day. Well, thank you, Josh. We appreciate the call. Um, It is, we live in a time right now in American politics. And listen, I think the audience knows me 
the the moniker of optimist has been uh, hanging over my head for a long time, and I've proudly wore it. Can you wear a moniker? Um, but let me say, I am less positive. I am less optimistic than I once was. I still am, I believe. But conspiracy and blatant racism is now the order of the day with the Republican Party. It always has been, I believe. But it is now out in the open. The quiet part is no longer. There is no quiet part. You have Tucker Carlson on a nightly basis preaching the great replacement theory. The, 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 the truth is no longer truth in, in the Republican Party. There is no reality. It's whatever is going to serve the needs of elected Republicans to stay in power. If that means oppression, if that means outright white supremacy, then that's okay with them. If it means indoctrinating our children with conspiracies and ignoring the facts of our history, they're okay with that because it serves their objective. Yeah, well, and like you said, it's becoming kind of a a mainstream idea in the Republican Party to allow parents to dictate the education yeah, of yeah, their yeah. children. You have Mike Pompeo, who came out and said if, that he believes that parents should be in control of what is taught in schools. That would have been fantastic in your case. How wonderful if your parents would have been allowed to determine what you were taught. Well, and they, they did try, right? And just like many of these parents around the country that we've been talking about with our critical race theory watch uh, segments <laughs> are trying to... We need to get a bumper for that. ...interfere with their uh, children's education. That that happened for me, like you talked about, and for people who may be listening for the first time. Um my parents would like request that we would sit outside during lessons about like um, indigenous people and yeah, Idaho history. I think is taught in fourth grade. Yeah, yeah, that's in, right in, in Idaho. Mm -hmm. And part of Idaho history is learning about native peoples mm -hmm. and, because they were there. Um, I mean, I grew up on an Indian reservation, mm -hmm. the Nez Perce Indian Reservation, mm -hmm. the, the town I grew up in. Uh, largely or mostly grew up in mm -hmm. is is right there and it's it's a large part of Idaho history anyway yeah ahead, sorry and so uh, but a lot of the instruction that we received about history was at home and like like you said I mean I would have struggled to grasp reality if teachers hadn't been allowed to get to me yeah and thankfully teachers did get to me and i started to understand that oh wow the holocaust did happen well, I mean, your dad went deep with it talking about conspiracy theories about ballpoint pen and when it was invented and thinking that things were photos were doctored i mean he went very deep in into the conspiracy about the holocaust not being a thing right and it's it is almost impossible to buttress yourself to defend against that when you're a child and your parent is the one indoctrinating you. Right. Luckily for you, you did have some teachers that somehow broke through. Right. But again, there's many parents across the country who are trying to interfere with this. And there was recently an interview. You know that uh, show on Showtime, The Circus? Yes. Yeah. Well, Alex Wagner interviewed a 
activist in Virginia. Her name is Patty Menders, Patty Hildalgo Menders, a mother of six, and she is fighting the state's equity and inclusion curriculum. They had a little chat, and uh, it's going to blow your mind. In Loudoun County, this is the wealthiest county in the country. There's not a lot of racism. There are silly people that say stupid things, but if you talk about it less, you're going to notice that division less. I've seen what the the training looks like. They call it culturally responsive training. It is definitely racist. They are putting down the child for the color of their skin. Where do you see evidence of that? One particular sixth grade at a middle school here, it was a rap song pushing the slaughter of the Native Americans. The lyrics of the song was putting down Andrew Jackson at the time. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people would credit Andrew Jackson with the genocide of the Native population. Yes, but how do you discuss it without... Um, denigrating whiteness. Yeah. Like at what point? Uh, I'm going to stop stop it for a second. Why is Alex Wagner running interference for this racist lady? Thank you. Yeah. Why? I watched this earlier today. Let her find her words, and Alex I, Wagner. I could not believe that. What was that? What do you think that was? Let her dig her own grave. Don't give her a a a higher-minded explanation for what she's saying. Let her say what she's going to say. Absolutely. That was so strange to me. I'm glad that you called that out. But first, since we're here, and I've taken notes up to this point, um, there this is the wealthiest county in the country. There's no racism here because we all know rich people aren't racist. I know. those, <laughs> But silly people say stupid things. Yeah. And if you talk about it less... You're going to notice that it's happening less. What? What is happening? Silly people who say stupid things. But you know what? I'm glad that she said that. Because I think a lot of white people excuse the racism of people that are in their lives, uh, like their parents or their grandparents or whoever. um, Friends that they've had for years. By trying to say things like that. Like, oh, yeah, you know, they don't really mean it that way. They're just kind of... Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, you know, silly, stupid things that they say, but that's not actually in their heart. They're really good people. Yeah, I mean, we need to, like... They're not racist. They just say the things that racists say and act like. Right. I mean, (laughs) we need to move away from this and and stop doing that. Let's uh, let this interview continue. And this, um, the training wheels, that is Alex Wagner. Do you forgive and stop segregating? And then it becomes less about merit. Yeah. And it becomes more about, oh, we got to give the people of color this advantage. Let's keep feeling sorry for them. But I don't look at the person based on their skin color. I look at them based on their character. Can I just interrupt for, sure. for one thing? Because I, I think there are a lot of there, there are probably plenty of people that would agree with exactly that. But just to be fair on the other side, there are people, especially young black men, for example, who would say, I would love to not be judged on the color of my skin. Do you think it's more on the color of their skin or their actions? How they're dressed? how they perceive, how they respect others. 
if you have a kid that's pulled over by a cop, does it really matter what color they are? Or is, is it the respect that they give to that police officer? Yeah, you're right, Patty. You're <laughs> wow. right. This is unbelievable. I I look I don't look at people by the color of their skin. But if they got baggy clothes on, fuck them. They better respect the cops or they're going to be killed and it's okay. Well, does she even hear what she's saying though? I mean, she's she's saying, "Well, is it is it the color of their skin? Is it is it that they're black or is it the way that they dress?" Yeah, is it because yeah. they hate the police? Because the she's way talking that- about black people as though they are this monolithic group, just all uniform in their beliefs, ideas, approaches to life. Does she do that with white people? Everybody knows, Brittany, that the the way you dress is a direct reflection of the content of your character. Mm-hmm. Because this is the refrain Repu- the Republicans and conservatives love to to, to, to talk about. Is that, well, Martin Luther King Jr., he said it's not about the color of your skin, but the content of your character. That's what we should be focusing on. Ignoring everything else in the canon and the writings and the speeches of Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I guess I'm just trying to get a sense of whether you guys think it is just a better idea to not talk about racism. In schools, shouldn't that be up to the parents to teach that to their children rather than let the, the teacher? Let's just use slavery as an example because that keeps coming up in critical race theory. The tricky thing is that slavery was a racial construct, yeah. right? People yeah. were persecuted and enslaved because they were a certain race. So how do you teach about slavery if you're not going to talk about race? I'm a parent. I'm not an educator. Yeah. Wait, what? So Glenn Youngkin's your guy. Yes. He doesn't want to push this racism narrative. He wants to give kids a good education. Education has become the flashpoint across the country. You know why? Yeah, tell me. You don't mess with our kids. You don't mess with our kids. Right. But their kids. Mm-hmm. How about the, the, the black and brown kids in Loudoun County schools? Right. What about them? Mm-hmm. But it's that's them. That's their kids. Our kids, our, the white kids, you don't mess with them. Right. Well, and you heard Patty say, uh, quote, in schools, shouldn't that be up to the parents to teach about race and racism? Uh, to their children rather than the teacher. And then 30 seconds later, she's like, well, I'm a parent, not an educator. After Alex asks her a pointed question yeah, about yeah, how yeah. things should be approached. Well, I'm I'm just a parent. I'm not I'm not an educator. But parents should be in charge of what gets taught. <laughs> this is it, very inconsistent. They absolutely want it both ways. Yeah. Uh, there's another clip. And this is all kind of centered around right now. And it's it's picking up steam in Virginia, especially because next Tuesday is the gubernatorial election with Glenn Youngkin, the conservative Trump Republican. And that's against, that's Patty's guy. That's right. That's Patty's guy uh, against um, Terry McAuliffe, a longtime Democrat, uh, former chairman of the DNC, Clinton insider. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's running for, for governor. um Against uh, the, the, the Glenn Youngkin, the, the ding dong. Right. So November 2nd is the election. That's why this is front and center right now. Well, and Youngkin has been using audio of McAuliffe from a debate that they had where Terry McAuliffe disagreed that parents should be the ones dictating what is taught in schools. And Wait, I think he says 
educators should be in charge of that. Right, which is suddenly a controversial line for conservatives. This is suddenly something that is completely unacceptable for conservatives. Even Patty just said that, though. Well, I don't know. I'm not an educator. I'm just a parent. Well, I'm not saying it's consistent. I'm saying that that this is like a strongly held belief that they have. And so Youngkin is running ads and he found this woman who originally was in the news in like 2013 um, because her son, when he was a a senior in high school in an English class. An AP, Advanced Placement English class. Right. Not regular old English, in AP class. When he was, again, a senior in high school. Right. Because we're going to play the clip for you, and I want you to know how old he is when she's talking about him, okay? Um, He was assigned to read uh, Beloved, a 1987 novel by Toni Morrison, and this book, which I have An not award winning book, I have not read it. It's it's been added to my list since all this controversy happened, which is probably not what they intended. But here we are. Um, according to Google, it is set after the American Civil War. It tells the story of a family of former enslaved individuals whose Cincinnati home is haunted by a male- malevolent spirit. So there are apparently scenes that are depicted of, um, according to this Washington Post article, gang rape, bestiality, and an infant's gruesome murder. So this mom in Yunkin's political ad references this book, doesn't necessarily describe it, but just talks about how it was so outrageous that it would be assigned in, in her child's class. One might say that it was... Triggering. Ooh. As a parent, it's tough to catch everything. So when my son showed me his reading assignment, my heart sunk. It was some of the most explicit material you can imagine. I met with lawmakers. They couldn't believe what I was showing them. Their faces turned bright red with embarrassment. They passed (laughs) bills requiring schools to notify parents when explicit content was assigned. It was bipartisan. It gave parents a say, the option to choose an alternative for my children. I was so grateful. But then Governor Terry McAuliffe vetoed it twice. He doesn't think parents should have a say. He said that. He shut us out. Glenn Youngkin, he listens. He (laughs) understands. Parents matter. Join me in voting for Glenn Youngkin. I'm Glenn Youngkin. Candidate for governor. I sponsored this ad. I'm Glenn Youngkin. I'm running for governor. I love Donald Trump, but I'm not going to campaign with him because he's really toxic. Did you? I just love. The music change. The shift in tone. The person who edited that had just been like, yes, this is perfect. (laughs) I did it. So anyway, this woman is a a longtime Republican operative. She's not just a random mother that they found. And her son now, who's 27 now, is... (laughs) Um, an associate general counsel for for the Republican National Committee. Mm. That's how deep and entrenched they are in the party. Yeah, so you have to go. That's where you have to go to find these people. They're not just regular old parents who had a problem with something. Mm-hmm. This is a lady who specifically has a problem with the book because it deals with slavery and the evils associated with it. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah, and again, I mean, so she didn't mention that her kid was a senior in high school. Could right. ha- could have been an adult. I mean, you can be an 18-year-old yeah. as a senior in high school. And 
So is he not playing any video games? Is he only watching G-rated movies? Yeah, he he watches pure flicks or whatever the whatever that Christian Netflix is. Right. And then <laughs> and then she showed it to all of these uh, elected officials and their their faces were turning red. Yeah, okay. I want to see their porn hub history. And we'll see, like, how red their faces were turning. Please. Come on, Republicans don't watch porn. Yeah, Brittany. of course. They I are just pure. Mm-hmm. I, again, I I know it's a theme on the show that I get very frustrated by conservatives and their uh, pearl clutching nonsense. Yeah, I mean, acting all puritanical. What am I, hang on, what am I, Alex Wagner over here putting words in your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> But it is. It's deeply frustrating. So she's acting like reading this book caused uh, trauma for her kid. But these are the same people who mock liberals for trigger warnings and saying that content is triggering. Right, right, right. right. Facts don't care about your feelings until you want to ban uh, a book about black people. Right. Well, listen, this I'm going to extrapolate this out, but the, the history that they're trying to suppress is is our history, but it also applies to what they're going to be teaching tomorrow and in the the years ahead about the things that are taking place right now. Let's talk about the Kyle Rittenhouser. Well, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, but, trial right now. Before we do that, can I just ask? Because yes, I want to kind of do a check in um, with my knowledge. Did everyone not learn about bestiality when they were like twelve from Loveline? Is that not how everyone? Like, figured all that out? I never listened to Loveline, so I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, there have to be people out there who learned about these things from Loveline, right? Not just me? I would assume so. Okay. Apparently, right. you represent a vast cross-section <laughs> of America. Uh, I learned a lot of things Makes from Loveline. Makes me wonder what the fuck was going on on that program. <laughs> oh, boy. A lot of things. So back to my point that was salient, or it was going to be. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, Alex Wagner over here. <laughs> um, Kyle Rittenhouse trial is getting ready to start. Yeah. And the judge, again, in under the context of what's going to be taught in the months and years ahead about this particular historic event, the killing of multiple people during a, the uprising this summer that followed the death, the murder of George Floyd, Kyle Rittenhouse wasn't legally able to own a gun, brought an AR-15, and gunned down multiple people in the protest. Now, the judge in this case is forbidding the prosecution from referring to his victims as victims. And further, he is allowing those victims to be referred to as looters and rioters and arsonists. Hear it in the judge's own words. So b- before you play that, and this isn't something Loveline related, um, the the Kenosha shooting, which was the Rittenhouse uh, situation, was precipitated by the police shooting of Jacob Blake. That's right. That was the, the shooting where he was shot in the back by a cop multiple times mm-hmm. um, while getting into the front seat of his car. Yeah. And after the fact, they said they found a knife. The way I remember it. Mm. That panic looks on Britney's face um, right now. You can also notice that I didn't say uh-huh so because I'm clip. not going to affirm. <laughs> here's the clip of the judge, again, outlining what they can call the victims in this case, which isn't victim, and the names that they can uh, be called. The word victim is a loaded, loaded word. 
And I think alleged victim is a cousin to it. Let the evidence show what the evidence shows, and if the evidence shows that any or more than one of these people were engaged in, in arson, rioting, or looting, then I'm not going to tell the defense they can't call them that. So they're not victims, but in the judge's eyes and in the jury's ears, they will be arsonists, looters, and rioters, which gets them one step closer to a justified killing by the, uh, uh, on the part of a teenager with an illegal gun. <sighs> so in a month or a year or 10 years down the line, how are we going to be able to talk about this? According to women like, like Patty Hidalgo or Laura Murphy mm-hmm. or any number of these idiots who act like teaching the actual history of America is an attack on white people right? or whiteness, as Alex Wagner put it. Yeah. Well, uh, Rittenhouse has um, pleaded not guilty to all charges. His lawyers are arguing that the shootings were in self-defense. I know we talked a little bit about the Jacob Blake case before we played that clip, and I just want to highlight the fact that uh, Jacob Blake did survive the shooting, but he has been paralyzed from the waist down. And I know, Jesse, you led with the, the shooting of George Floyd in the beginning and then corrected for the, the Jacob Blake shooting. And the Jacob Blake shooting took place less than three months after the death of George Floyd. Yeah, so. t- tensions were high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. So, uh, as always, we'd love to know what you think about this. Uh, I think our audience is thoughtful and passionate about social justice, as well they should be, we'd love to hear from you. You can call, leave a brief voicemail, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Kevin M. Kevin M. Eddie W. Eddie W. Dan P. Dan P. Monica W. Monica W. Let's see here. Uh, Klaus W. Klaus W. A lot of W's. Neil E. Neil E. Ben W. Ben W. Felice G. Felice G. David H. David H. Mark M. Mark M. Dark Star. Dark Star. Thank you so very much to our new Patreon supporters. We very much appreciate you. Hey, we have an announcement because typically we do... Our monthly Patreon hangout at the at the end of the month, <laughs> and <laughs> and because we are taking this um, somewhat last minute trip to Idaho, we are not going to be able to do our hangout for the month of October. So we're going to push it to November. And we're going to actually change the date that it's going to be in November as well, because it's going to be Thanksgiving weekend. And we know that when we do our Patreon hangouts 
in a holiday month, we typically don't have a lot of people show up. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we are going to actually do it the Saturday before the Thanksgiving week. So that's going to be Saturday, November 20th at 11 a.m. Los Angeles time. So again, the October Patreon hangout is canceled and our next Patreon hangout will be November 20th at 11 a.m., Los Angeles time. So we look forward to seeing you there. It is always a great time. We uh, hang out with listeners from all across the country, all across the The world world, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And we would love to see you there. Fantastic. Uh, There are other ways to support the show. You can go to dollamore.info, buy a, a, a podcast shirt or hoodie or mug. Those, every little bit goes a long way to help support the show. And growing the show is really a mode that we are in. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if we've mentioned it on the show explicitly or how in depth, but we are going to be moving to Washington, D.C. sometime in the new year. And all of that is in an effort to do something grand with what we're building here with the podcast. So we would love to have you on board helping support our work and helping produce the show. All right, moving on. Dilemocracy, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So really briefly, let's talk a little bit where, uh, about where we are on the spending bill. Um, I'm seeing a headline right now that uh, on the billionaire's tack, Joe Manchin said that he doesn't like, quote, targeting different people and that the ultra wealthy have contributed to society and created a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. So he's... Uh, He's, he's really going out on a limb to defend billionaires and the injustice and the tyranny of asking them to pay their fair share. Here is a holiday message from Joe Manchin uh, on the topic of allocating money for the bill. Dan, can I have $30? $20. What do you need $10 for? <laughs> Oh, my God. Brittany has wanted me to pull that clip for a long time. (laughs) Every time I see Joe Manchin's face, I think of that clip. That's from Perks of Being a Wallflower. And Can I have $30? $20? What do you need $10 for? (laughs) I mean, this is what's happening, though. The, The bill has been slashed so much because Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. Uh, have their demands for who who knows why i mean i don't understand what values these demands are based on who are they taking up for with these demands i don't understand apparently billionaires and i mean it's not it's not the democratic party that they're taking up for because no. this or the agenda of, of of president joe biden no because this has been slashed so much that it's becoming a situation where if they pass it it's not going to have a meaningful difference. It's not going to make a meaningful difference in people's yeah. lives. And so what are people going to do come election time? What are you going to be able to say that you did? What? Right. How did you make people's lives easier during the pandemic? All they're doing, Manchin and Cinema, are helping Republicans in large form. And I'm even seeing some, like Lawrence Tribe today, I saw a tweet from him, Harvard Law Professor, Putting this on the shoulders of progressives, and and that is just horseshit. If this fails, this is 
solely and wholly on the shoulders of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, not on progressives. I'm getting to the point you mentioned earlier today, maybe progressives should just walk away from this and let it fucking fail. Right. Because as it is now, this is a win for Republicans. Yeah. And again, the the child tax credit, remember the child tax credit, they've been sending checks out. Yeah. And the uh, estimates were that it, it could cut poverty, child poverty nearly in half. It mm-hmm. was definitely above 40%. Those were the estimates. And you have people like Joe Manchin sitting back and thinking, hmm, cutting child poverty in half. Nope, don't like that. Let's actually increase child poverty and make fewer people eligible for the child tax credit. Because billionaires contributed to society and created a lot of jobs. Right. And so now he's unhappy about the billionaire tax. And not only are they trying to figure out uh, which programs are even going to be left in this social spending bill, they're figuring out, well, how are we even going to pay for what's left in the bill now? This so-called billionaire's tax could raise up to $250 billion if enacted, but there are also renewed looks at changing corporate taxes as well. For more on the Democrats' plans, I'm joined by Neil Irwin. He covers economics for The New York Times. Neil, great to have you back on the NewsHour. Um, as Yamish has been reporting, I mean, a lot of this is still in flux, and I'm always reluctant to say something is dead or alive at any given minute on Capitol Hill right now. But l- let's just unpack this idea of the billionaire's tax. What is it? How would it actually work? So when most people uh, buy an asset, buy an investment, and it goes up in value, uh, you only owe capital gains tax on the profits when you sell that investment, when you sell those stocks or sell a business. Uh, and there's good reasons for that, right? The, the logic is that that's when you know how much it sold for, how many profits you have. You have that cash to spend. Uh, I think what the what the billionaire tax is aimed at is the ability of people to to accumulate truly massive sums of wealth that never gets taxed, uh, that, that reaches just astonishing levels. So Jeff Bezos, for example, his net worth might rise by $100 billion as Amazon stock goes up. But he, if he doesn't sell it, he doesn't owe any tax on those uh, large earnings. Uh, they think there's about 700 billionaires who would be affected by this tax, essentially paying those gains, uh, paying tax on those gains along the way. So the, the, the sort of assertion undergirding all of this is that billionaires, by with these blossoming uh, funds of money that grow, uh, that they're not somehow paying a fair share. Now, your definition of fair share is, is different from anyone else's, but that seems to be the essential argument, that they ought to be paying more to the government. It is. And, and this notion that people can accumulate these massive piles of wealth and go years and years and years uh, paying you know, very little to the government. I mean, uh, Warren Buffett's been talking about this for years, that his secretary pays a higher income tax rate than he does because his wealth is accumulating in capital gains in his company. Um, uh, so that's the, that's the logic. Now, it does raise some fairness questions, some execution questions, and I think that's some of the reason that, uh, that we saw some real doubts emerge just today on, on actually including this as part of the Biden agenda. Well, let's talk about those execution questions. How would you go about taxing that if the person's not selling those assets and you can figure out how much they gained, how much they lost? I mean, the logic is that, that at that tier of wealth, people have a lot of liquidity. They can borrow money. Uh, these are liquid assets. These are tend to be publicly traded stocks that they can sell relatively easily. Uh, you would phase it in and not make people uh, not make make Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett sell all their stock overnight. Uh, that that this would be a thing that billionaires who have lots of accountants and lots of capacity to deal with 
would uh, would be affected by not you know owners of smaller businesses that that might uh, face real strains. Uh, that's why part of why some of the centrists in the Senate were at least open to this, uh, who don't want to raise tax rates on on the wealthy uh, on the capital gains tax, for example, but were willing to entertain this. Okay, so putting that tax aside, um, what are some of the other ways that the Democrats are looking to try to raise revenue for this big bill? So the one that people are talking about a lot today is uh, having a corporate minimum tax. So the corporate income tax is currently 21%. There was for a long time a thought that they would just raise the corporate income tax to maybe 25%. Uh, Senator Sinema from Arizona didn't want to do that. Now there's talk that, okay, we might not raise the corporate income tax rate. But maybe if we say, even if you have all these deductions and, you know, are expensing stock options, things like that, that reduce your effective tax rate below 21 percent, we're going to set a minimum. Fifteen percent is the number of people are talking about. So that would be an effective uh, increase in corporate taxes on companies that have the most deductions, the most ability to to, to get lower rates uh, in effect right now. So the opposition to that argues what against that proposal? Well, one argument is that companies that uh, are able to to lessen their corporate tax bill, it's usually for reasons we like to support. It's because they're making investments and they have to expense those investments. It's because they're uh, paying their their employees with stock options that, uh, you know, tends to align incentives, that these are desirable things and you don't want the tax code to disincentivize them. Uh, That said, if you're not going to raise rates, if you're, you know, if you're looking for this money somewhere, this might be a uh, less painful way for for the government to kind of uh, raise this revenue than some of the other options that have been discussed. I mean, as we've watched these negotiations go forward, I mean, there is a, a graveyard chock full of proposals that have been floated and have already died. Um, my understanding is that according to polling, taxing corporations, taxing billionaires polls fairly well. Mm. What is your sense from your reporting as to why those proposals have a hard time sticking with the Democratic majority? <laughs> But I think the reality is just this is a vanishingly small Democratic majority. Uh, they need literally every single Democratic vote in the Senate, 50 votes, plus the vice president to be breaking ties, nearly that close in the House. They need nearly every uh, House Democrat to, to be on board. And the reality is, even if most Democrats are comfortable with raising capital gains tax rates, raising corporate tax rates, these sorts of things, um, as long as one or two or three are not so sure, uh, it doesn't it doesn't happen. And that's what we have right now. Most Democrats would be open to many more kind of revenue raisers. Uh, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Kristen Sinema from uh, Arizona, maybe a couple of others are uh, are much more reluctant to pull the trigger. And those votes are necessary if, if they want to pass this thing. Um, lastly, um, during the presidential campaign, the Democratic presidential primary, we heard Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders proposing a wealth tax. How does that idea compare to these other proposals? And, and is that potentially on the table? Uh, it's not right now. It's not being discussed. Um, conceptually, it has some real similarities to the billionaire's tax we were talking about, uh, marking capital gains taxes to market for, for the very rich. Uh, in terms of the revenue would raise, pretty similar. Uh, it's actually, if anything, the wealth tax has more constitutional questions, questions around it. Would it be legal? Uh, would it be upheld in court? Um, that said, I, I think most progressives would be very happy with something like this billionaire's tax that uh, that was being discussed, uh, again, does, appears to be by the wayside for the moment, but this has been a very fluid situation with lots of uh, lots of changes happening uh, by the hour. Very fluid, to say the least. Uh, Neil Irwin of The New York Times. And it has been maddening to follow because you will see uh, an update come through about the negotiations and, you know, uh, Manchin doesn't want the central climate change policy in the bill. Weird that a man who makes his money, his millions from fossil fuel and coal 
doesn't want to do anything to, to, to fend off the ravaging effects that we're feeling right now of climate change. Right. Or cinema doesn't want to uh, roll back Trump's tax cuts. Yeah, she's fighting real hard for Trump's tax cuts right now. So, I mean, you have a situation where at every point that the Democrats try to make progress... Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin are throwing up roadblocks yeah. and significant roadblocks that are turning this bill into something that is just not going to be a winner for the American people who are desperate in need of, of assistance and for the Democratic Party to continue to win elections. I mean, if these these temporary benefits like the child tax credit, if that expires and it just it was for one year and, and that's what it was, then th- that, there's no long term good for yeah. that investment that people made. And you need you need these types of investments over the long haul to affect the life of a child into adulthood to to reap the benefits of that. Right. And again, are are Republicans going to revoke programs that are highly beneficial for the American people that are widely popular? No, they're yeah, not. Well, that's that's why they fight tooth and nail to not have them implemented because they know how difficult it is to to claw them back. Right. The other problem we're facing is that we've we've created a class of individuals that are celebrities and have a fan base just based on the fact that they're billionaires like Elon Musk, who's now whining uncontrollably about the po- prospect of a billionaire's tax. On Monday, his net worth increased by $36,000 million. $36 billion added to his fortune just on Monday. Mm-hmm. He's now has a net worth of over three hundred billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Whining because he he's going to have to pay more taxes when he already doesn't pay enough. The ProPublica uh, article that came out, he pays a scant, fewer than five percent. Right, effective tax rate. Well, and they and they talked about that in that PBS clip that we just played too, but. Uh, you know, Joe Manchin has a particular issue with the uh, billionaire tax, and he represents West Virginia, right? He represents zero, zero billionaires. Isn't that right? Yeah, there's no billionaires in West Virginia. Yeah. And there are 278,734 people living in poverty in right. West Virginia. Yeah. So Se- only 700 Americans will be affected by this tax, raising $250 billion potentially. So why are the um, needs and desires of 700 people more important than the millions of people who are living in poverty across the nation? I mean, what's going on here? Disgusting. Absolutely. Again, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Dads on Duty. Dads on Duty. Dads on Duty is the group of dads uh, who have come together in an effort to prevent fights that have been breaking out at Southwood High School in Louisiana. Shreveport, I believe. That is correct. And I also want to say that every time I've seen commentary from news organizations about this story, 
they aren't talking about this as uh, a representation of what people mean when they say defund the police. Yeah. Because defund the police is a slogan that people use to emphasize the importance of investing in community resources so that people are not in a position to be like encountering the police on a regular basis and thus being victims of violence. And in this case, you have kids getting into fights at school. What happens when you have kids getting into fights at school? The cops get called. Cops get involved. And sometimes, as we have seen in body cam footage, you have cops like body slamming kids uh, at school. And so too many cases of that we've seen. Right. And so these dads have come together to say, how about how about we step in? How about we show up at the school? And they gave an interview and it is fantastic. Not many good news stories begin in such a bad news way. It happened last month here at Southwood High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. Plagued with violence. Over the course of three days, another fight. 23 students arrested for fighting. Massive police response. But strangely, there hasn't been another incident since. Perhaps in part because of this most unusual crisis intervention team. Nobody here has a degree in school counseling. No. No majors in criminal justice. No. No. Your qualifications are? We decided the best people who can take care of our kids are who? Are us. What we do. So Michael Lafitte started Dads on Duty. We're out doing what we do for our babies. A group of about 40 Southwood dads who now hang out at the school in shifts. Let's go. Today, any negative energy that enters the building has to run a gauntlet of good parenting. What's going on, buddy? You're moving fast. I like that horse. I immediately felt a form of safety. We stopped fighting. People started going to class. How could that be? You ever heard of a look? A look? Dads have the power to do that? Yes. <laughs> not many people know it, but yes. <laughs> let's go, let's go. But it's not just the firm stares and stern warnings. Let's make it to class, my son. It's also the dad jokes. <laughs> they just make funny jokes like, oh, hey, your suit is untied, but it's really not untied. <laughs> they hate it. They're so embarrassed by it. <laughs> and it's that perfect mix of tough love and gentle ribbing that dads do so well that has helped transform this school. The school has really just been like happy and you can feel it. Which is why the dads plan to keep coming to Southwood indefinitely. Because not everybody has the father figure figure at home. Or a male period in their life. So just to be here makes a big difference. Do you think you stumbled onto something here? Absolutely. 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 Have a good morning. They'd like to start chapters of Dads on Duty throughout Louisiana. What's up, baby boy? And hope to eventually take on the country. All right. Without a fight. (laughs) Steve Hartman, on the road, in Shreveport, Louisiana. How much do we love those dads? I think I want those guys to be my best friends. I think I just decided that. Um, I saw you cracking up at the uh, your shoes are untied. Hey, you shut your mouth. I did not. <laughs> you you <laughs> loved that. <laughs> so it's a great story and also a good message about um, how community resources really make a difference and, and people uh, stepping up and taking that role that would usually be um, armed agents of the state committing acts of violence. Am I getting a little heavy right now? No, I'm... I love it. Okay. You're, 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 I think... you're, you're talking my language. Okay. So awesome for dads on duty. We hope this is a trend that starts all over the nation. Absolutely. 
That is the end of it. We're going to call it. We love you guys. Thank you for your participation. Thanks for calling in. We'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. You can go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast to support the show. We would love to have you on board in the Patreon family. That would be a great time. Um, I guess we'll see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Where you call in, don't say your name, and you just describe what happened the year. <clears throat> Should that stay in? <laughs> no. I think I'll leave that in. No. What happened the year? <laughs> <laughs> oh.